Good morning. Hello, guys. Um, of course, I'm Jordan. Uh, I really hate public speaking, but I feel like the Lord gave me the strength to even come up here and uh, read you God's word. So um, may I ask if you guys rise in the reading of God's word? Today we'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as long as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave us the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Lord, I ask if you bless all the minds in this building today as we uh, learn and soak in the words of God and have Pastor Dave um, preach these words in an understanding way that we all understand and, and praise you and worship you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, well, I did not think about the height difference, so we're going to have to... We're going to have to adjust this microphone here, but all right. Thank you, Jordan. We are continuing our study through this letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. And as we saw back in chapter one, Paul began addressing the issue of division within this assembly. He had heard a report from the members of the church in Corinth that they were dividing themselves into groups. You had some who considered themselves followers of Paul, others who identified as followers of Apollos. And this issue has kind of been in the background of everything Paul has been writing from chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 4. So we're right in the middle of this uh, issue that Paul is dealing with, the division that had taken place in the church. And it seems like the main division was between those who preferred Paul and those who preferred Apollos. Those are like the two main groups that were forming uh, in the church. They keep coming up throughout these chapters. We'll see it again uh, in our text today. Paul, of course, was the one who had come to Corinth originally. He had brought the gospel there. He had founded the church in that city, and he had stayed there for a year and a half, teaching and leading the church through its beginning years. Then after Paul left, Apollos came to Corinth, and he spent time leading the church as well. We know from Acts that he was an eloquent speaker. He was mighty in the scriptures, well-educated, and so he was also held in very high esteem in the church. And that's not surprising, of course. Uh, that these two men, both with their giftings and the callings that God had given them, uh, that they would be held in high esteem. But the division among the church and the way that they idolized these men really had become a problem. And so Paul has been stressing to them throughout these chapters how foolish this behavior is. Also in these first couple of chapters, we've seen Paul teaching these Corinthian Christians about the work of God in their lives that brought them to Christ. 
Paul had said that man in his natural state cannot understand the gospel. The message of the cross sounds like foolishness to him. And so the only way we can be saved is if God opens our eyes to see the truth, to understand all that Christ did for us on the cross. And then when God does this work in our hearts, the gospel becomes the best news we've ever heard. It saves us from our sins and begins to change our lives from that day forward. And then in the section we looked at last week, Paul showed us how when we become followers of Christ, the Spirit of God is placed within us and he continues to work in our lives. God puts within us his Spirit to open our minds so we can receive the wisdom of God revealed to us in Scripture, which causes us to understand it. He causes us to uh, continue to change the way we think about life, our perspective, our priorities. Everything begins to be more and more aligned with the way that God thinks. He orients our morality, our priorities, our perspective around the gospel. And through the on- this ongoing work of maturing us spiritually, the Holy Spirit of God transforms us into the people that God has called us to be. And so Paul has shown us in these last couple of chapters that there are two main groups of people. There are those in their natural state, and then there are those whom God has saved. Those whom God has saved are those he has placed his spirit within. But then in the last chapter, we also notice that Paul made one further distinction. So among the Christians, among those who are saved, who have God's spirit, Paul says there are mature and immature Christians. And as we'll see in our text today, The division within this church of Corinth was a sign, an indicator that they were immature in their faith. And so Paul begins this third chapter with with these words. Verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, infants are cute. Babies, they're great. We all love babies. But adults who act like babies aren't so great. And we all know people like this. You have coworkers or family members, somebody who might be 20 or 30 or 50 years old, but they act like a child still. And if you don't know somebody like that, then maybe you're the one that everyone else is thinking of right now. But immaturity is a shameful thing. Babies being babies, no problem. You expect that. But when they're 30, 40, 50 years old and they're still acting like a baby, it's a real problem. And this same dynamic takes place in churches as well. When people first come to faith in Christ, they are baby Christians. No problem with that. They have a lot to learn in terms of basic doctrine, uh, biblical teaching about how they are to live now that they're followers of Jesus, uh, all sorts of stuff to learn and to mature. You don't expect new Christians to act like they've been following Jesus for years. You expect some immaturity there. But after someone has been a Christian for a while, you shouldn't still be stuck in the baby stage of your faith. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's time to grow up a bit. Uh, These Corinthian Christians were still acting like they were brand new Christians. Now, I don't think it's accurate to say that uh, this term, people of the flesh, refers to perverse or sinful behavior. Uh, That's not what Paul means here. Uh, The Old King James translates this as carnal, which I think many of us automatically, when we hear the word like carnal or fleshly, uh, we think of like perverse sin of some kind, uh, which is really not what Paul is talking about. Later in the letter, Paul will address some in the church who were involved in uh, open, flagrant sexual sin in some cases, and in those cases, uh, Paul doesn't even consider them to be converted at all. 
But that's not what he's talking about here. People of the flesh means the opposite of people of the Spirit. These are people, Christians, who are not being directed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were acting like normal, unsaved people would. They were dividing amongst each other, uh, thinking themselves better than others in the church, adopting a favorite human teacher. This was not the behavior of Christians. They were thinking as the world thinks, not as Christians ought to think. They were still following the ways of the world rather than growing as God wanted them to. And so when Paul tells them that they're acting like people in the flesh, he is saying they're acting as though they did not receive the Holy Spirit at all. Their behavior seems to indicate they are still in their natural state. And because of this lack of spiritual development, Paul says in verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. They were so spiritually immature that Paul says they were not ready to learn the wisdom of God that Paul was talking about in the last chapter. We saw that last week. Verse 3, you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Paul is saying you've been given the Spirit of God, but instead of letting the Holy Spirit direct your lives and your behavior, you're acting like mere humans. You're not... You're not showing evidence that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within you. They hadn't grown up. And so Paul says he can't teach them the depths of wisdom that God wants them to learn. Notice Paul says in verse 1, he wanted to address them as spiritual people. Verse 2, he wanted to feed them with solid food, but they were not ready for it. As we saw last week, Paul was telling them that to the mature in the faith, God's Spirit reveals wisdom through reading and study of God's Word. Through that process, God begins to change our perspective and and grow us in our faith and our knowledge of Him and His ways. Yet these Corinthians were so immature that they were not ready for all of that. They didn't even have the basics down yet. Paul is basically saying you can't learn algebra if you haven't first learned how to count. These Corinthians were so busy squabbling with each other over their petty divisions They were missing the depths of wisdom that God wanted them to have. Reminds me of what we read over in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthians to do as well to leave, move beyond just the basics of Christianity and begin to develop spiritual maturity. This is a perennial problem in the church. Churches are filled with baby Christians. The author of Hebrews says in these verses that these people ought at this point to be teachers. They've been saved a while. They should be growing in their faith and advancing to the the ability of discipling new converts. Yet, They need someone to teach them the most basic principles of the faith. 
This would be like a 20-year-old still stuck on his ABCs. It's kind of pathetic. Christian maturity clearly isn't a matter of age. It's not even a matter of how long you've been a Christian. Some people can be saved for many years and still be baby Christians. And some who have been saved a very short time mature quickly, and they advance to the solid food, the meat of the word, far faster. But in the case of these Corinthians, they were stunted in their spiritual growth. And so Paul tells them that they are still infants in the faith. Verse 4, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? It's possible that Paul was wondering if they really were just human. Maybe the gospel hadn't taken root in them at all. Jesus warned in the parable of the soils that some would appear to be committed Christians for a while, they would appear to believe, and then ultimately they would fall away, giving evidence that their faith was superficial, it was shallow and not genuine. So how do we tell if someone is truly saved or not? Sometimes, of course, it's obvious. Uh, If there's no change in someone's life after they come to Christ, they haven't come to Christ. Paul says in his letters, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. So there are some who may claim to be Christians, yet they still live their openly sinful, worldly lives, and such people are clearly not converted. Uh, Paul will deal with one such case in chapter 5 of this very letter, where a man was involved in an open, sinful relationship, a, a sexually immoral relationship, And Paul says to the church of Corinth, kick that guy out of the church. He's not giving any indications of true saving faith. But it's not always that straightforward. Sometimes, like in the the case of these Corinthians, you have people who are attending church and they're in some ways seeming to be showing signs of change, but in other ways they're still acting like people without the Spirit. They are immature Christians. There's not the spiritual growth that you would have expected at this point. And in those sorts of cases, we really don't know. We have no way of uh, evaluating the condition of one's soul. Over in Matthew 13, Jesus instructed us exactly what to do with such cases. We're not going to read through the whole passage there. But Jesus told a parable about a farmer who planted good seed in his field. He was planting wheat. Then while he was sleeping, an enemy came and planted weeds all throughout his field. So when the wheat began to come up, Out of the ground, the weeds grew along with it. And of course, weeds and wheat, uh, they look very similar. And so it'd be hard to tell at first which one is which. So the farmer tells his servants, don't try to distinguish between the two. Don't go out there and try to pull up all the weeds, because if you do that, you're going to end up mistakenly uh, pulling up some of the the wheat as well. He tells them instead to let the wheat and the weeds continue to grow together Then when the harvest time comes and there's actual uh, fruit there on the wheat, then it will be clear which is which, and you can sort it all out at that point. In verse 36, after giving this parable, we read the explanation Jesus gives. It says that the crowds left him and he went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. These are Christians. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. These would be, of course, non-Christians. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, 
And they, were, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus is telling us that in the church, there will be at times a difficulty distinguishing between Christians and non-Christians. There will be some who claim to be Christians and are not genuinely converted, and others who are just so spiritually immature that it may be hard to tell. You're not seeing the growth that you would expect. And the point of this parable that Jesus tells is simply that we should let God sort all of that out on Judgment Day. It's not our place to try to pinpoint all of that uh, specifically. Again, if we're talking about an open, flagrant, sinful lifestyle, then there's uh, church discipline and things that Paul lays out. But in the case of a spiritually immature Christian, it really is going to be determined by God on Judgment Day uh, who is genuine and who is not. Back to our text, verse 4. One says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Notice Paul says that he and Apollos are servants through whom you believe, not in whom. Uh, emphasizing the person through whom you believed rather than the one in whom you believed is like a girl receiving love letters in the mail over a period of time, and as a result, she falls in love with the mailman who's handing her the letters. It's ridiculous. Apollos and Paul were merely tools in the hand of God. And as Paul goes on to explain in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul says it's ridiculous to be impressed with the one who plants the seed or the one who waters it, as if he's the reason that the ground produces food. Can you imagine watching, watching Paul and Apollos as they're planting some seeds and just being so amazed? Oh my goodness. Did you see how talented Apollos is at watering that ground? Uh, did you see how perfectly Paul threw those seeds out into the dirt? Man, that takes so much skill. Uh, not really. If you're going to be impressed with someone, be impressed with the God who somehow makes that little seed we drop into the dirt grow into a plant that produces food for us. All we do is chuck the seeds into the ground. Everything else is the Lord's doing. The same is true in the kingdom. Our part in the process of preaching the gospel and sharing Christ is pretty unimpressive. God is the one who does the work. And of course, that's been Paul's whole point in this letter so far. He's been hammering this one point throughout these first couple of chapters of the letter, that when a person is saved and transformed by the gospel, it is not owing to the brilliance of the speaker. It is not their eloquence or their wisdom that draws them to faith. It is all God's work. God is the one who does that in us. Paul isn't the one who caused you to believe the gospel. You weren't saved because of the eloquence of Apollos. It was God who opened your eyes. He called you to salvation. Paul has told us that in man in his natural state is incapable of believing. God has to open the, the eyes of our understanding. And so when God opens our eyes and we see the truth and we believe the gospel, don't be impressed with the first person you see standing there. Be impressed with the God who opened your eyes, who cured your blindness. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're going to put someone on a pedestal, 
Don't let it be Apollos. Don't let it be Paul. Don't let it be Peter or whoever else. Be in awe of God. Be thankful to God. Pledge your allegiance to God, not any man. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul is saying that by having so much admiration for himself and Apollos, these Corinthian Christians were robbing God of the glory for what was ultimately his doing. There is only one pedestal in the kingdom of God, and there is only one person who deserves to be put there. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. Paul says, Apollos and I aren't competitors. We are co-laborers. You're pitting us against each other when we're on the same side. We're working towards the same purpose. We're both trying to help you grow in your faith. And then Paul says that each will receive his wages according to his labor. Paul is saying he and Apollos are not concerned with the opinion of man concerning their work, but rather they were looking to the day that God would reward them. Their aim was to please the Lord, not impress man. The Corinthians' applause and commendation really didn't mean much at all. What matters is whether God would be pleased with their labor. And if one of us is doing a better job in some way, if you know Paul is doing a little better than Apollos or whatever, God is going to sort all of that out. He's going to reward us according to our own work. You don't need to try to figure that out. And we'll get into this more next week, but notice Paul says that each will receive his reward on Judgment Day according to his labor, not according to the results of his labor. Because as Paul already said, God is the one who determines the results. We do our best to share the gospel, to help disciple people, but we are incapable of changing someone's hearts. It is God who gives the growth. And then verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We are God's fellow workers. Paul is saying it is God's work that he and Apollos are engaged in, and it is to him that they have devoted their labor. And then he says to these Corinthian Christians, you are God's field. You are God's building. God has planted the seed of the gospel in your heart, and he wants you to grow and produce fruit. God has begun the construction of the building, and his aim is to see the project completed. So get out of God's way and let him work on you. Let him mature you. Let him grow you in your faith, your knowledge of him and his ways. Put aside your petty divisions that are distracting you from the work God wants to do in your midst. So Paul in this text gives them three reasons to stop dividing, to stop identifying themselves as disciples of Apollos or disciples of Paul. He says, first of all, it's petty, it's childish. Uh, it's a very immature mindset to have. Secondly, he says, Apollos and I are co-laborers. We're on the same side. And then thirdly, Paul and Apollos, we aren't the ones even responsible for your conversion or your growth at all. God deserves the credit for all of that. Unfortunately, this kind of mindset happens all the time in churches. Paul founded this church. Apollos came later. Uh, again, this, this is a phenomenon that happens all the time in churches today where one pastor retires or uh, leaves, and then another pastor ends up taking over at the church. And pretty much every time this happens, people leave the church. Now, if you're leaving because the new pastor is teaching some sort of false doctrine or something, okay, there might be uh, good reasons to leave. But often, I think people leave because their commitment was really to the man. 
rather than to the Lord or even to the church. It's an overemphasis on the human leader. And really, it's a result of spiritual immaturity. One of the main takeaways we should receive from this letter to Corinth so far is not to tether our faith to any man. Be thankful for teachers and leaders who help us grow in your faith, but ultimately keep your eyes on Jesus. He is your Lord, not your pastor, not the person who first introduced you to Christ. Clearly, the main thing Paul wants to communicate here in this passage is to mature spiritually. He wants these Corinthians to move past these silly, immature attitudes and these behaviors that are childish, to grow to the point of being able to receive all that God wanted to give them. He wants them to be weaned off of the milk so they can receive the solid food of the word and begin to be changed by it. As Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That should be the aim of all Christians, to grow in grace, to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We should always be focused on our own spiritual development. Don't become stunted in your growth. These Corinthians, you remember, were very gifted. Paul said in chapter 1 of this letter that they came behind in no gift. They were not lacking spiritual gifts. We'll find out later in the letter they did miraculous supernatural gifts like speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing. They were obsessed with these supernatural abilities that God had given them. Yet they were baby Christians. Often we think that the most spiritual person is the one who's gifted in a particular visible way. Yet the church of Corinth proves that's not the case. Spiritual maturity is measured by our conduct and our attitude. Whether or not we are being led by the Spirit, not whether or not we have an impressive or visible gift. So the question for each one of us should be, what steps are we taking to grow in our faith? What could we do to grow spiritually? If the extent of your spiritual maturity is simply coming to church every once in a while, listening to a sermon, you will likely remain at your current stage of development. Spiritual growth and maturity in Christ takes effort And here are a few very basic ways that the Bible gives us to grow spiritually. Number one, read Scripture. This should be the first and most obvious point. Uh, Paul laid this out in the, the passage we looked at last week, that through reading and study of Scripture, God reveals himself to us. He gives us the perspective and the wisdom that he wants us to have. Secondly, we grow spiritually by being actively engaged in a church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is saying in this passage, we don't grow in our faith on our own. We need each other. 
We need a body of Christ, a group of believers, helping each other to grow spiritually. Notice there in verse 16 that it says, when each part is working properly, each part of the body of Christ, then that makes the whole body grow. It helps us all to build each other up. We ought to be provoking one another to love and good works. We ought to be comforting each other, helping through trials. We ought to be holding one another accountable. This is so much of what it means to be a member of a church. And this will only happen as you let people actually get to know you. Okay, Coming to a church and sitting in the pew doesn't accomplish all of that. You have to open up. You have to engage with those in the church to receive these benefits. You have to share struggles that you're going through, ways in which you need some help, some encouragement. And you have to do your part to help others. You know, so, so often we come to church with sort of a selfish mindset of, what can I get out of this? How can I receive benefits? And to an extent, that's okay, but we also ought to be looking at one another and saying, who can I help? Who can I bless? Who can I encourage? And even who might be a new Christian that I can help disciple? Actively engaging in church life is not merely sitting through a service, but actually getting to know the people, caring for one another, using your spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. Number three, we develop and mature spiritually by learning from teachers that God has given the church. In the passage we just read, uh, verse 11, Paul says that God gave us teachers to equip us, to build us in our faith. And so while we recognize that God is the one ultimately doing this work in us, Paul and Apollos and other teachers are used by God to help us mature spiritually. And the same is true of solid Bible teachers today. This is one reason that uh, years ago I started putting those books on the back table, and I'll remind you once again, uh, books back there are all free. Uh, If you want one, as long as you will read it, feel free to take one. These are the kinds of resources that will help you to learn and grow and mature spiritually. If you really want to grow in your faith, Read books from gifted teachers who will help you to think through biblical teaching more thoroughly and will guide you towards spiritual growth. And then number four, be led by the Spirit. This was the main problem in Corinth. Paul says they were not being led by the Spirit. They were acting as mere humans, devoid of the Spirit of God's leading in their life. We've been given the Spirit of God, as we saw last week, to guide us, to help us to mature spiritually. But Scripture says we can also quench the Spirit. We can resist His conviction of our sin. We can resist His promptings when He urges us to do right. Spiritual growth happens when we surrender to the Spirit's leading and let God have His way in us. Galatians 5 verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then verse 22, Paul goes on to explain what it looks like to be led by the spirit. He says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, if you have His Spirit within you, that should result in a transformed life. 
If you are maturing and developing the way that you ought to in your faith, more and more, you should be demonstrating love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe even now, as we move into our time of prayer, you look back over that list and ask God to pinpoint the areas of your life where you really need to be growing, where you're not currently being led by the Spirit of God. Once you recognize an area of your life where you need to grow, where you need to mature spiritually, take that next step and begin to focus on that. Every day, ask God to change your attitude, to give you more and more the mind of Christ. God wants you to grow. He has so much that he wants to teach you, so much wisdom that his spirit wants to reveal to you through his word. God wants to change your perspective and your attitudes. And he's given you all that you need to experience this spiritual maturity. You have his word. You have his spirit within you. You have his church. The question now is whether or not we will let him work on us. Whether we will let God have his way in our lives or whether we will resist him and remain spiritual infants. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building.